Hi, you're listening to great thinking, ideas and conversations from Greenbelt. We're Greenbelt. We're somewhere to believe in. Thank you, Carolyn, and thank you, everybody, for coming to hear an old man with a grey beard talk about the metaverse. But don't worry, I'm sitting down, and if I lose my train of thought, I've got all my notes on my Blackberry. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, praise God for the man with a stick, right? Uh, But those toilets are cool. I just love the pump action. I think they were designed by a retired church organist. Because after three or four pumps, I'm expecting a mighty fortress as our God to come out. (laughs) Uh, It's good for me to be here because I'm very excited about the metaverse and virtual reality and uh, church and mission. And I just want to talk about it all the time, but nobody wants to hear it. So I'm continually putting filters on and stopping myself. But uh, for one hour, I just get to take those stops out and, uh, and chat about it with you. So I'm super excited. Um, Okay, you may not have noticed, but we just had a pandemic and a bit of a lockdown. So big change for a lot of churches who were no longer able to have a worship service. My friend Alan Hirsch said that the church suddenly needed to learn how to play chess without their queen. The queen being the worship service. And so we saw a lot of churches move towards technology, uh, Zooming streaming, YouTube, Facebook, and, and a lot more entering into virtual reality 3D, which has been around for a long time, I would say almost 20 years, um, but made kind of a reappearance in many ways during the pandemic due to maybe some new technologies, um, Oculus headsets getting cheaper, and uh, and I'm not... If I say metaverse, please don't be thinking headsets or goggles, because uh, I know a lot of people just relate the two immediately, but there's probably about 30 million headsets in the world today, Uh, but there's 3 billion video gamers. Uh, So the vast majority, you don't need a headset, all right? And, And maybe you don't need it anyway, even if they offer something. I had a friend in Canada say, hey, Andrew, I just bought an Oculus headset. I'm going to a virtual church on Sunday. What should I expect? And I said, well, best case scenario, it's going to be just as boring as the church you went to last Sunday. And worst case scenario, about five times more boring. <laughs> Uh, Which is kind of true. If you're just singing along to a video and then listening to a talk, well, why why bother, you know? That talk could be a podcast. You could listen to it in your car. Why why do people have to get up at the same time from around the world? And, And who wants to sing into their computer, right? I mean, you know, you've got the video going, there's a worship band, everybody's singing, and your kids walk by and you're singing into the computer looking like a right what? No! Anyway, it's much bigger than that, and we're going to have some fun. But uh, speaking of having fun, um, there was also a lot of backlash over the last couple of years with internet church, online church, VR church, etc., and a lot of interesting headlines, and since I keep track of them all, here's some of the best ones. Uh, Internet church isn't really church, Laura Turner. Okay. Uh, Why churches should drop their online services by... Tish Harrison Warren. That was in the Time magazine, but it was in the opinion section, so that's all right. This one's a bit nastier. Metaverse is the satanic global elites version of the future. And that's from a website called sheeplywolves.com. Right. Here's my favorite. This is from a Canadian newspaper. The pastor's a wizard and some worshippers look like cats. This is church in virtual reality. And they're talking about Pastor Bill Willenbrock, who was from the Eastern Orthodox Church there, by the way. Here's another similar one from the Church Times here in England. Title, My Worship Alongside a Sexified Fox. Another one related from Mark Howe, uh, Partnership of Fools here in England. Okay, if a dragon leads Evensong? He asks the question later in the article, should dragons lead worship? Uh, Last one. 
Why do metaverse churches look so boring and creepy? Oh, that was me. <laughs> yeah, that was my blog. But I was actually responding to somebody who had written and asked the same question. So, um, so I have two goals for us this morning, afternoon. Uh, the first one is um, for us just to get a handle on what the metaverse is. Um, it, it's something that's very confusing and intimidating, and even experts are still struggling about what it is and isn't. So I'm probably going to read a definition, the most authoritative and recent definition, which will not make a lot of sense to some of you. But at the end of our session, you will be an expert, and uh, you will feel like you're a native to the metaverse, you'll be changing in the, the definition and coming up with your own one that's even better. So um, the, the other thing I wanted you to do was to, in your minds, as we talk, make a prediction, uh, less, than, less than 10 words. A bit like what we did yesterday during the worship, where we looked at 2050 and we looked at two possible outcomes. I wonder if we could uh, do that during our time. What, what will our world our world of church or religion, uh, whatever religion you're from, whatever thread, uh, how will it look different by the year 2050? And maybe at the end, I'll ask you maybe to, uh, to share that or at least share it to uh, somebody next to you. Okay, so um, here's the definition. And if this is um, confusing, then don't, don't feel bad. It's also very long. And this is from Matthew Ball, who wrote a book about two months ago called The Metaverse and How It Will Revolutionize Everything. You may have seen him on the front cover of Time magazine with a little article that was essentially uh, the same as the book. He says, this is what I mean by the metaverse. A massively scaled and interoperable network of real-time rendered 3D virtual worlds that can be experienced synchronously and persistently by an effectively unlimited number of users with an individual sense of presence and with continuity of data such as identity, history, entitlements, objects, communications, and payments. How does that feel? Is it, yeah? Is it? Just put your hand up if you thought that was really confusing. Okay, well. Maybe we'll do another hand show at the end. Okay, going back to your prediction, um, it's not the first time that I've asked myself, what will the world look like in 2050? Back in 1993, I was not only a, a pastor of a local church, but I was also uh, teaching at a Bible college uh, on culture and how do we create churches that contextually impact our culture. And the final assignment was to think about church in the year 2050. And so, out of all the contributions from the students, not one mentioned the internet because it had only just come out a couple of years earlier uh, through uh, Tim Berners-Lee, 1991, the World Wide Web, and, and it really wasn't on our radar back in 1993. It was something for geeks and maybe for companies. Uh, but then within two years, I was living in San Francisco, which uh, there was a lot of buzz about the web, and there were four cyber cafes around the city of San Francisco, and they were places where you could get a coffee, and they had a computer in the back with a modem, and you could actually go online. And I remember going online the first time, thinking, this, I know this is going to be the beginning of something very exciting, uh, and I want to be a part of it. And since I was already a missionary at the time, starting various churches with different uh, groups, I, I thought, well, why not be a minister in in the web, so I named myself CyberRev. And uh, I used to be inside uh, the well, which is probably the world's oldest um, continually running chat room, but it was very San Francisco based. And uh, yeah, I was, I was CyberRev for a long time. I started a space in 1997 called Andrew's Tea Salon, and it was on GeoCities which uh, was a huge website. At the time, actually, I think the third most visited website, um, hundreds of thousands of spaces, and, and mine looked pretty cool. I, I went with kind of an Art Nouveau look of it, and it looked like a real tea salon, and the idea was just come and have a chat with me. But 
But this is Web 1.0, and there really wasn't much chatting going on. There was just uh, reading whatever I had to say. And so people had to send me emails uh, to comment and, and contribute, and I had to like paste them into uh, my posts. And it was very awkward. And, and even as that moved to blogging in 2001 for me, when I changed my name, I didn't want to be CyberRev anymore. It, it was just weird. Uh, the, the word cyber space was so cool for such a long time. Kind of like Metaverse right now, right? But we all know in five years' time, we're going to be sorry if we named ourselves Metaverse Minister or whatever, and we'll be changing our name for sure. Um, so I wanted to be who I am in the physical realm, tall, skinny Kiwi, and uh, gosh, 20 years or more later, I'm still tall, skinny Kiwi, and when people meet me face to face, they go, oh my gosh, you are, aren't you? <laughs> I wonder what your, um, what your name will be for your avatar. It's worth thinking about, especially as um, the metaverse begins to link in. All these virtual worlds begin to have bridges between them, and you can go between one and another and another without having to log in again, and perhaps even bringing the digital clothes that you just bought uh, somewhere else. Uh, what that means is you really need one single name for your one online identity, and something that no one else wants. If it's popular, you could add a few numbers to it. Um, but anyway, um, so uh, yeah, so Web 1.0, and this is why I'm doing this, so we do the Web 1 to 3. Web 1.0, kind of uh, websites, storefronts in a way, not a lot of interaction going on. Uh, Web 2.0, much more interaction, comments. Anybody could start posting their pictures to Instagram or talking on Facebook or videos to TikTok, and uh, and it really was amazing. And yet, a lot of those platforms were owned by big companies. They controlled the content. They uh, sometimes uh, suspended us. Uh, so Web 3.0 is looking towards much more decentralization, where we have ownership of our content, which is somehow ledged into the blockchain as the underlying, or at least one of the underlying uh, technologies. Um, so that's Web 3.0 is the spatial web, and it involves, but it's not limited by, virtual reality. Uh, and so. There's Web 3.0, and then there's also Web 3. And sometimes the two words are conflated, which is confusing, although eventually I think they will be the same. Uh, but if you, hear, if you see Web 3, that's Web with no space, 3, uh, just realize there never was a Web 1 or a Web 2. Just Web 3 just kind of popped up. And it's normally in reference to cryptocurrency and the blockchain. Um, but I do think uh, both of those worlds are moving together. Uh, by the way, I wrote, uh, I wrote an article about uh, Web 2.0, gosh, 2005, when, when the word kind of appeared, and I, and I talked about Church 2.0, uh, kind of as a contextual response to what was actually happening, and I got told off for it by some of the English who, uh, who said it was a bit too quick. Um, but I just want you to know that I've never said Church 3.0, and I don't even think Web 2.0 has actually completed its, um, its journey. So, um, so that was once when I was trying to predict what life might look like in 2050. But there was another time in 2005 when I was asked to contribute to a magazine called The Christian Century. They were doing an article called Seminary 2050, and could I say something about what that might look like? in that year, and they invited a few of my friends. Brian McLaren wrote something, uh, Maggie Dawn here in England wrote something, and I wrote something, uh, and my title basically said something like, uh, video games uh, will be one of the ways, or one of the key ways, in which theological education will take place in 2050. And then I described how uh, immersive experiences uh, that are curated will be uh, normal for discovering, uh, dis not just discovering truth, but being trained in, in ministry and missions. Anyway, when it came out in paper form, the editor, not believing that video games could ever be a part of theological education, had taken out every instance of the word games. So it sounded like I was promoting watching videos. 
ah, I was so shocked. Luckily, I was blogging at the time, and I could put a response to it and put the real thing up. But it was very hard to believe that video games could actually have such a big part. And, and by the way, when we say the word metaverse, it's a, it's a it's a term that was coined by Neil Stevenson in the early 90s with a book called Snow Crash. And he, was, he just tweeted recently that, um, that he could see what it would look like, but he didn't know how we would get there. And he was assuming it would be retail that would enable the metaverse to come into being. And then he says he did not expect it to be video games, but it was video games. And, and the metaverse is built on... Uh, on the technology from video games. And so if you, you'll often hear video games and metaverse kind of almost together in the, in the same sentence. Uh, and this is why. And the other reason is because video games have becoming more and more social. I mean, they started off a long time ago where we just you know, jumped in and shot each other or raced each other in cars and stuff. And, and then all of a sudden there were spaces to hang out, you know, to, to meet the people that you were shooting and killing and uh, have a you know, have a chat. And then the other thing was that there were already chat rooms and, and some of the earliest churches uh, online go back to the 80s when they were just essentially chat rooms on bulletin boards, but they started getting more visual and somehow these two worlds are now in the same place. So we talk about social video gaming um, or even chat rooms in which you can become an avatar, enter in and, and talk and uh, dance and, and pray and, and, and whatever you want. Uh, um, so, yes, so video games are very important, and I want to bring your attention to a, um, a writer and a teacher who probably knows more about video games than anybody I know. Uh, his name is um, Richard Bartle, and he teaches at the University of Exeter, but he was actually involved in the 70s uh, in helping to create one of the world's first multi-user dungeons called Mud 1, 1978. So he put a book out a few years ago called Creating virtual worlds, but he put one out last year, and it's for free if you wanted to download it. His book is called How to Be a God, Guide for Would-Be Deities, and he says this. He says, this is a book about philosophy, theology, and computer games. I myself am a computer game designer. In common with other computer game designers, I am an expert in neither philosophy nor theology. That said, the number of philosophers and theologians who are able to claim they're experts in computer game design can be counted on the fingers of no hands too. <laughs> Interesting. Theology and philosophy. Theology because there is a spirituality already embedded in the internet. Uh, and philosophy, because we're dealing with elements of real, what's real, what's not real, uh, which we may or may not go into. Okay, I wanted to um, talk about another moment, and we're going to go into question and answers uh, shortly. Um, but this was uh, significant for me in my journey into Web3. I, um, I was very inspired by the Church of Fools in 2004. How many people went along to the Church of Fools? Uh, well, a few... Anybody go with invisible avatars? Yes, a couple. Ned Flanders? He was popular. My kids love Ned. Um, that was just inspiring. You know, a beautiful Gothic cathedral, the Bishop of London preaching, uh, leading the Lord's Prayer with people responding lines of the Lord's Prayer in multiple languages. By the way, liturgy works a lot better than uh, trying to preach a sermon in, in the metaverse. And uh, when he stood down from the pulpit, I, I thought I might, because I was invisible, because, I mean, I mean that day 10,000 people turned up, and, and there was only room for 30 on the seats. So, so obviously most of us were, um, were invisible ghost-looking avatars who couldn't uh, speak or be seen. Uh, but because I couldn't be seen, I thought, well, why not see if I can climb the pulpit? And, and so when the, when the bishop stood down, I did. I climbed up, and I had a bird's eye view of what was happening and even even screenshot videotaped it so it's on YouTube uh, but I did apologize to uh, the ship of fools people for uh, my insolence and uh, they they said no it's funny we thought it was hilarious they even invited me to preach uh, a few weeks later um, unfortunately things got a little ugly when a few weeks later a avatar who was not invisible 
also ascended to the pulpit, and his name was Satan, and he was uh, demanding allegiance from the worshippers, and so they had to begin to build in some filters and block off um, certain areas. In, in fact, much of, much of what we've learned about internet church and virtual reality church, we already saw happen at, at the Church of Fools. And, uh, and did you know that the technology for the Church of Fools was created uh, by a company called Special Moves that was building a game, a website game around Ozzy Osbourne for MTV's entrance into the UK. And so the, what they built was, uh, there's Ozzy and his family and you could kind of tell them to do things, move them around. You could tell Ozzy's dog to poop and it would drop one on the floor and people just loved that. And uh, they would send in screenshots of, you know, making the dog poop on every possible square on the floor. And, and so this technology kind of went into, first of all, the Ark, which was a, a Bible character-based reality game and by the Ship of Fools, and then the Church of Fools. Uh, and actually, I was so impressed that I asked Simon Jenkins, how do I have this technology? I want to start a, an internet church or something. And, and he said, well, you could do it through Habbo Hotel which used a very similar technology. So I jumped on Habbo, and in 2004, instead of starting a church, because I had already been a pastor, already been a church planter, I was more of a trainer of missionaries, and I wanted a place where people could kind of learn about the metaverse. So I started Suddenly Seminary, and every Tuesday night uh, would um, just have people come, and we would, oh gosh, we would discuss missiology or theology. Sometimes there were uh, book release parties. I remember once uh, Brian McLaren's book came out on hell, and so I recreated the whole space to look like hell. It was all red, and I had uh, mummies and crypts, and there were fire-breathing dragons, and, uh, and the, the invitation was called, Let's Go to Hell with Brian McLaren. And there were some technical difficulties that uh, night. Uh, didn't work out as we thought. But uh, we had, we had uh, discussions on, uh, oh goodness, we had a lovely lady named Renee who had suffered sexual abuse and written a book about it. I think the book was called something like um, um, Healing from the Evil that God Allowed. And uh, we had a very deep discussion because sometimes when people are avatars, they are much more open to talk about spiritual things, to pray with each other, even complete strangers, and also to tell the stories of their life. Uh, Renee passed away a few years ago, and I built a, a garden at Suddenly Seminary. It's a virtual garden, holds about 25 people, and it's called St. Renee's Memorial Garden. Uh, I, I mention this to you because you could use it if you wanted to. If you wanted to host a similar discussion, there's nothing stopping you from just going in there and doing it. It's not locked. Don't need a password, just need to find it. And you, if you wanted to, could host an event for, I mean, that would hold 25 people. There are other rooms that could hold 100, but you know, you probably don't want that. Oh, and by the way, um, suddenly seminary now, I have, a, I have a pub that I've called the Jesus Arms Tavern, and it's medieval. Uh, in, in look, there's a little, um, not a jester, but a mandolin playing, what do you call them? A what? Uh, yes, a bard. Thank you, a bard. Uh, and you can order drinks and uh, drink them. And uh, and there's a brewery that I have. We could also visit that. I'm saying this because I'm also inviting you. Uh, just find me, and maybe in a couple of weeks we could have a, a uh, session. And and the goal for you would be to dress yourself as an avatar, learn how to walk, how to sit down, and maybe buy the second round of drinks. Uh, and actually figure out, you don't have to use crypto. I mean, you can use your, your wallet. Ethereum is the, the crypto of choice there. But you can just use, and it'll only cost you a couple of pounds. You can also just use your bank card. But the goal would be for you to buy the next round and actually place them on the table so that we can all drink them together. And I think if you could do that, you would feel very confident about being able to move, act, buy, do things in, in the metaverse. So um, I also have a bot in my space right now. Uh, his name is Skip Flash, and he was around uh, 18 years ago. Uh, he was my bouncer. When we had to kick people out, uh, sometimes I was Skip Flash, sometimes my 13-year-old son was Skip Flash. Uh, when people got rowdy, we had to uh, excommunicate them, uh, and uh, he would often be the, uh, the bad guy. And uh, oh gosh, and we, so we, we had a worship um, moment that I want to tell you about because I was just, I've always believed that the internet and the metaverse 
uh, it, it's just very different that new media behaves differently than old media. And rather than just catapulting our existing churches into the new world of the metaverse, we, we need to go carefully and spend a bit of time uh, and do so in a contextualized way, which is why we've never had a sermon or congregational singing at Suddenly Seminary. But let me describe one worship event that happened in 2004 where we had so many people come, we broke Habbo Hotel. It, it completely froze on us. And I'm not sure that we broke it, but my gosh, we had a lot of people, and that was our big moment. Um, I, I took a look this morning and just wrote down some of the rooms, because as, as we discussed and as I encouraged people to create spaces for worship and prayer, uh, we started linking them all together with teleporters, and we created a labyrinth uh, in late 2004. And these were some of the rooms. How are we doing for time, by the way? What time is it? Oh, lovely. All right. Okay, there was, uh, well, the 24-7 prayer room. I invited leaders from um, a movement called 27 Prayer that was started by my friend uh, Pete Gregg, and they came and did their very first VR moment. Uh, Jonah from Spain and Carlos, the leader from Mexico, were there to uh, lead people in an interactive prayer experience. There was the Bible shower in the Sapphire office. There was one called Enter the Storyboard, which was about writing and expressing yourselves and words. Um, if you took the porta pot teleporter, the blue one, you would end up at Jacob's Well. If you took the Narnia wardrobe teleporter, then you would end up in a room I created called the off-on room. It was kind of a room for repentance and putting off the old things that you didn't want in your life and then putting on something new. And you had to write down what you're putting on and off, sticking it on the wall. When it was red, it would change colors. You know, uh, we, we basically didn't have a lot to work with, so we really were leaning on creativity to try and do worship in a new way in a new platform. There was uh, the Boaz Lounge, the Sapphire Lounge, Turtle Cave, the Cloister, Breathe, Awakeland. Uh, these, are, <laughs> these are all, uh, and there were more. Somebody started up a church called the Paradox Church. It wasn't me, uh, but linked it in. There was even a pastor's office and a lobby. Uh, not really the thing I was pushing, but um, anyway, so that was just really a, a moment in which... Um, we learned so much about what we could do that anything was possible and we could have significant worship experiences in the metaverse and uh, and and still are in many different ways now there are just gosh hundreds hundreds of uh, churches and monasteries I, I actually believe the monastic model is probably a better model in many ways than the ecclesiastical Sunday morning church service I was just at a monastery we had two services a day there was a labyrinth that you can walk. And I'm actually trying to build a labyrinth right now in Sudley Seminary out of a conveyor belt that drops you off in the middle and then you like disappear or you get you raptured. It should be cool. I'll invite you all uh, for sure if you're connected. Um, but um, a monastery is open every day. People can do their own experiences. Uh, churches, you know, people say, that was cool. See you tomorrow. You're like, oh, no, we're a church. When do you do it on Sundays? I'm like, what? So I, I, I do think the monastic model is worth a look at. Um, or ashram, or seminary, or whatever. Uh, the other thing I just wanted to say before we um, finish was, uh, we haven't got much time before we do Q&A, but in 2009, there were so many churches in, uh, in the metaverse that um, I, I formed a cyber church symposium, and we had, um, we had leaders from, gosh, uh, Bobby Grunewald from Life Church TV came over and brought a few people, and... Uh, Mark Howe, who I mentioned earlier, from Simp Pixels, and Simon Jenkins. We had the iChurch pastors. Um, Tim Hutchings was studying in, um, at the University of Durham. Anyway, it was just a, a great moment in which we met together physically, but not online, because the word symposium actually means to drink together in, in Greek. And so we had a beer together, and it was just a really, really amazing time. Um, right, we're about to go back to the um, definition but I wanted to, um, I wanted to mention uh, as a way of giving some, uh, some illumination into the concept of metaverse that in 2006 at Stanford University, a lot of uh, geeks and philosophers and computer designers uh, came together to discuss this thing called the metaverse. 
and they created what they called the Metaverse Roadmap, and this was published in 2007. It was essentially a 10-year prediction and a 10-year guide on um, where the Metaverse is headed. And what they did was they said the Metaverse is essentially the, the VR and the AR, right? You know, the, uh, the virtual reality that you enter, the augmented reality that you project over the top of uh, your existing world. But they said there are four quadrants, there are four parts to it. The first part, virtual reality, uh, in which you, uh, you, know, you enter, you live, you move, you buy, you marry, you baptize, whatever. Uh, and then there's AR, augmented reality, in which through either smart glasses or your phone, you're able to see things that are not there like Pokemon Go in many ways, and uh, even now with gardening and things, it's quite common. Now they have uh, smart contact lenses. And uh, if this was a few years on, and you were watching me give you the same talk, and you were wearing smart glasses, you would, if I mentioned a book, you would probably see the book in your line of vision, even though it's not there. And probably with a wag of the finger, you could scroll and read my review of the book or buy the book, or, and all this would happen without anyone noticing. A lot of possibilities. Uh, and then the third area was digital twins, which uh, virtual recreations of you know, physical environments. We, we use it in engineering. You know, this is how cars get tested. Uh, to see how they perform, or crash-tested, if you like. It's how the military trains people to drop in to rescue people. They've already done it online uh, in the virtual digital twin, right? It's, it's how pilots learn to fly uh, planes. Um, uh, and it basically, you can adjust the variables in a digital twin to see how, for example, your garden will do with more sunshine or more water or different compost. Uh, so. Uh, Virtual reality, augmented reality, digital twins, and life streaming. Although they said life logging. I, I like life streaming. It's, it's where blogging is moving. We're moving beyond just content creation and posting. We're uh, beginning to do immersive journaling, uh, where we can even begin to connect our online world and our offline world, our avatar and ourselves. I think this is one of the most exciting areas, but it's really quite new, and we don't know yet uh, where it's going. Right, so, or maybe we should uh, do the question and answers now and then we'll do the, the definition at the end. So, I'm told that we need to have questions and answers. So my first question to you is... <laughs> no, actually, I do, ha I do have one, uh, seriously. Uh, why should UK wake up to the metaverse? You don't have to answer it, it's rhetorical, and I hope yours will be rhetorical questions as well. Carolyn, what's the first question? Um, Really interesting uh, listening to you, Andrew. Um, just a quick reminder that if you want to ask a question, I'll come round and you can speak into the mic. Um, but this talk is being recorded. So just so you're aware that you're happy to have your question uh, and your voice recorded. Okay, right. Uh, I shall go over here. Thank you very much for the talk. Um, um, just to a small point, I disagree with you that people would have only one um, avatar. I mean, the, all the evidence suggests is that certainly young people now have several different kinds of avatars depending on the kind of personality they want to project. Uh, but the question I have, have for you is that, um, so take for instance Facebook. Facebook spent, has spent so far $27 billion trying to make mm -hmm. a metaverse happen, it's starting with iHorizon. Um, that will definitely want you only to have one avatar because they basically want to sell your data. Um, but in your opinion, who do you think will win? Because there are other crypto-based ones like Decentraland um, and others. Um, and, and, and there's a lot of criticism about crypto-based metaverses being very basically Ponzi schemes, effectively. Um, so are you concerned about luring people into Ponzi schemes, basically. Mm. Simple as that. Oh, goodness. Um, yes, thank you for that. And uh, 18 years ago, I had multiple avatars, and my son had two. Um, but once you start buying a lot of digital gear, uh, it's normally limited to one avatar. And so if you want to buy it many times, I guess you could. And people probably will. Um, yes, uh, Facebook, uh, Bill Gates, um, 
showed us what it could look like, and uh, Facebook changed his name to Meta, owned about six of the major platforms. He, he gave a good presentation of futuristic worlds with himself as a uh, pasty robotic little boy who moved awkwardly, and then, and then he showed us his avatar, and it looked just like him. <laughs> uh, anyway, yes, uh, crypto is very um, unstable. Uh, I lost $100 in one day once, and was quite surprised by that, and uh, yeah, it does have elements of Ponzi scheme to it sometimes, but hopefully that will, uh, that will stabilize. Uh, as, for, um, as for the games, gosh, I, I don't know where it's, where it's going to go, uh, to, be, to be honest. But I do know that the video game platforms look a whole lot better than, for example, Horizon Worlds. Uh, I think they're, um, uh, the, the blockchain-based games like Roblox and uh, Minecraft and Fortnite are strong, and, and uh, Roblox has 54 million users a day, you know. And, uh, you know, 11-year-old 11 11-year-old boy started a church in Roblox called the Robloxian Christians. He just turned uh, 22 and passed it on to somebody else. So a lot of potential. Um, I, I don't know if Facebook will be a big player or not. I think they'll be big on the... Uh, Oculus and um, headset-based stuff, just as Apple will be big on AR, but we'll see where it goes, eh? Another question? Hi. Um, it seems to me like the main appeal of the metaverse, or digital living in general, is that it's a place where miracles are literally common, right? Everything about that world can be um, changed to best suit the needs of the people. So. Aren't you a little skeptical, maybe, about um, copying across the same sort of financial setup that we have in this world that causes so much trouble for people, where in digital space there's literally no scarcity, there's no need at all for anyone to have to buy anything at all, mm. and yet we're doing it, and yet we still have to spend money in digital space for stuff that doesn't materially exist? Yeah. Right, yes, yes, I am a little uh, skeptical about uh, entering a world that's not really there and buying digital clothes uh, that I can't really touch with currency that can't really be valued and, and uh, hanging out with friends who are not really there. Yes, yes, of course. Um, yes, I'm a little skeptical, and yet this is kind of the way it's been going for a while. So some of the earlier metaverses actually had their own currency systems. You know, Roblox has had Robuxes, and uh, Second Life has had Linden dollars, and Habo, where I've been hanging out, has had um, Habo dollars. And that's actually worked pretty well. And uh, I would say that uh, Philip Rosedale, who created uh, Second Life, is actually quite um, critical about the future of cryptocurrency because he's seen a model work without it. So I think it'll be one of the possibilities, uh, hopefully not the only one. Steve. Um, um, oh, lots sorry. of questions, but um, and I'm going to come to as many as I can, but I'm keen to see some uh, questions from women as well as men. Come on. I could put on a voice, but I'm a bloke. <laughs> um, I've had uh, um, a lot of business meetings in virtual reality, and people have come back and said, really don't like it. No. And I'm very mindful that when the printing press was invented, people didn't quite know what to do with it. And I know that here in the UK, we are leading in Web3, whatever it is, with contents, etc. What do you think is uh, going to help people to wake up? to actually get involved in it rather than looking at a fringe number of people to think they're a wee bit special, but in actual fact becomes a mainstream thing. Mm. What do you think is going to push it forward to become a core part of our living? Mm. Yeah. Um, well, what I'm noticing now is just a lot of kids are already um, playing video games and things. And as I said, there right now are three billion uh, video gamers uh, in the world. So a lot of mums 
are interested in what their kids are up to and uh, jumping into some of these uh, games as well. But I, I do like the, uh, the printing press uh, analogy because really 500 years ago the, uh, the printing press did displace a lot of, for example, the scribes and their pens who were writing out uh, books. Uh, and uh, what we're seeing now is kind of a new reformation in knowledge. Douglas Rushkoff once said about 20 years ago that the, the reformation turned hearers into readers but the new reformation is turning readers into writers or self-publishers. And I would add a little bit on the end to that, that Web3 and the metaverse is turning content creators into world builders. Hi, I'm really interested in this concept of avatars um, and what you think about the ethics of being yourself mm -hmm. On, on the internet. One, one of my kind of attempts at a kind of spiritual discipline of being online is I always use my own name. Um, and I, I just wondered what your thoughts were on that. Yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great, um, great question. About a month ago, we had a christening service at Suddenly Seminary because I feel that the church needs to be involved in uh, name giving and name honoring and blessing people as they move into, um, into the metaverse. So... Um, yeah, in, uh, in Japan, most gamers are male, but most avatars are female. We're thinking about... <laughs> uh, another thing we're thinking about is um, who, who are we uh, as individual people, as our soul, because our bodies actually change. Who we are at five years old looks different than 30 years old and looks different again at 80 years old. But who are we in a way um, that our real personality uh, can come out? Maybe we're a fruit or, or an animal or, uh, or, or, or something that expresses that. And if you think about it, we are not going to stay the same forever. One day we will be changed. We will get a new name and a white stone. And so I, uh, but I do think naming ourselves is a very spiritual experience and something that, like a baptism almost, needs family involvement and witnesses. So, great question. Hi. Uh, my experience with the internet goes back over 40 years. I was involved in it in the 80s, early 80s. <laughs> and I ceased to be involved, I think, part of it's spiritual, because it's not real people. It's, it's very artificial. You can't smell someone yet over the internet. And if you did, you probably wouldn't be the right smell mm -hmm. that they were. Whereas when you're meeting with real people, you're meeting... So the philosophical aspect mm -hmm. of what it is, the difference between a real meeting like this, yes. where we can see and possibly smell, I don't know, um, you know, see you sweat and, and all the rest of it, and the avatar who is not real. Yes. Uh, created. Right. Right. Uh, and yet the experiences are very real. And, and even if you go on eBay and make a bid for something, you've actually made a valid and legitimate uh, promise to, uh, to pay that up. So just because you can't see it doesn't mean it's real. Um, when we read Hebrews, and I often get this a lot, you know, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. This is uh, Hebrews 10. Um, but Hebrews also says, um, let's encourage each other daily. And then it also talks about the church as, uh, as something that's not really visible or seen. Uh, we're a holy mountain. Peter says we are living stones being built up into a holy temple. In Hebrews, you have not come to something that can be touched. So we have to say, well, if internet church is not real, which might be the case, is physical church in our world, which is also created, but out of bricks rather than pixels or voxels, is that real? And when we read Hebrews, we see that it wasn't even the temple that was really real, nor was it actually the tabernacle that was really real. Because Moses was told to build the tabernacle according to the what? The pattern in heaven. So there is a reality much greater uh, than us. And uh, that is the parallel universe, that is the kingdom of God, that is realer than real. I, I, I say real with a capital R, and I would say our religion, our spiritual service, our sacraments are real with a small r, because they are only real as they derive legitimacy from something realer than themselves. I'm talking communion, baptism, the elements. Uh, by themselves, they are not 
the fullness. They, there's a copy and a shadow of a fuller substance. So, so what is real may have to do with how we ascribe reality and make things legitimate. Uh, for example, many marriages happen in the metaverse and they are real legitimate marriages. And then a lot of fun marriages happen. Even in my world in Habbo, there's wedding chapels and you can go for a first date in a wedding chapel. And those, those are not real, they're not legitimate. But what makes it real and legitimate is it not what we ascribe to it? Hmm, worth thinking about. Um, you mentioned Japan, and I believe it's happening in this country as well. There's a big issue of kids that aren't getting out of the house at all because they're spending all their lives in the metaverse. I mean, how can we deal with that? Yes. And also, they're probably spending money that they don't have. Thank you. Uh, you're not the first one to ask this uh, question. Um, it's interesting, actually, Sony PlayStation just announced that they have a problem, that less kids are now using the, the PlayStation and they have a financial issue uh, after COVID because now they say kids are going outside to play, which is terrible for the business bottom line, but I'm sure that there are plenty of mums who are quite happy about that. Um, goodness, yes. Um, obviously, there, there is potential for, um, for overdoing it not just for, uh, for kids and the amount of time that they do spend, and, and gosh, some of them really do spend a lot of time, uh, but even adults uh, are struggling with, uh, for example, um, cryptocurrency addictions where they can't sleep at night because they have to see their fortunes rising and falling, and there are support groups, there are suicides, and so, um, yeah, there are issues that we are now dealing with that um, we have never really looked at before and uh, we do need to come up with some some answers goodness japan is like another whole world in, in japan there's been 70 marriages between um, humans and avatars or holograms uh, they are called uh, fictosexuals uh, is fictosexual a kind of uh, sexual attraction no it's an umbrella term for 20 different kinds of particular anime cartoon uh, attractions in which um, people are marrying their avatars and holograms officially. And uh, apparently, this is kind of funny in a way, uh, one guy's been married for four years to his hologram, walks around with a little doll that represents the hologram, but there's been technological problems and they have not been able to communicate with each other. Well, I find it funny. Maybe you think you just think that's weird. Are we? How are we? Yeah, that's weird, isn't it, Carolyn? We've still got time. Okay. okay. Hi. Uh, so at the start of lockdown, we saw um, churches moving online onto Zoom, and they had a big issue with people coming on and causing disruption and sharing inappropriate material. And just, I feel like we need some kind of moderation. And in a, a decentralized Web three, where the whole idea is that people don't have big centralized control. How is this possible? And if we require centralization, how do we not then end up dominated by big tech like we already have, stealing yeah. our attention, our data? And that, I, don't, I don't think that's what we want. So what do you have to say about that? Oh, well, decentralization means also decentralizing the power. The, um, the, as we talk about the metaverse, the, what we described, it, it's probably not really going to amount to what we said it would be until 2030, and it's estimated that about a thousand times the current computer processing power uh, would, be, would be needed to get us there. And also 2030, the metaverse economy should be worth about $14 trillion, so many of your kids will be working, building, uh, selling inside uh, those spaces. But um, regarding the Zoom bombing, that's uh, happened and uh, interruptions. There are ways to stop it. There are, um, for example, you can have a private space that's password locked and you give out invitations. Uh, normally, internet churches also have, apart from like a, sometimes a service, they'll have a little chat room and then they'll have something outside of that world. Uh, Discord is very popular right now, but it's basically a, a way of chatting with each other outside of that system. So you can give people instructions to get in, and then you can continue the conversation later uh, in the week. So you can have a private space without interruptions or people bombing and uh, disturbing. But then you also don't get people just dropping by, you know? And I think a lot of people kind of like that. They like to say, you know, 
yeah, we were having a spiritual service or a Bible study, and this, you know, Satanist came in, you know, hell Satan, and, and we we're like, wow, you know, he's come to church, that's cool. And uh, there were actually really interesting stories of those guys coming back again and again. Oh, it's going to be so cool when, uh, when we have haptic gloves and haptic suits, as well as goggles and smart glasses. Um, not so much for churchgoers, but for the Satanists who are bombing the churches. I mean, they can really do this well, you know. Hail Satan with the fingers and everything. Uh, and we're all going to be like, you know, all we do is clap and pray on our knees and it's going to be so boring. Hopefully, hopefully things will uh, progress. Oh, gosh. Right, another question. I, I wanted to sort of follow on from this discussion. Yes. When, when you go back to the beginning of the internet and it was all exciting and free and so many stories of, of abuse, yes. violence, suicide, I, what you're portraying just sounds... Lovely, uh, but I see I, I see anonymous people going in and fundamentally wrecking, abusing, um, or creating bots that will do the same, and actually will create our own hell. Mm -hmm. Yes, and and some people would say that uh, whatever abuse we see online, we also see in the real world as well. So it doesn't magically uh, prevent that from happening. But I would say that Web 2, we saw the same thing. A lot of us who were blogging in a, in a very nice free um, world, it got a bit ugly, especially with anonymous um, punters. And sometimes opening up the comments was like dipping your toes in a shark tank. And it was just easy for some of us to close up the comments or move to Facebook, where we just had a small number of friends who were not anonymous, who had uh, reputation attached to their uh, personality. and. Um, a question I would have is I just wonder as avatars become less and less anonymous because they are now invested in digital goods that they've purchased, I wonder if we will see less of that actually happening. We won't have uh, the anonymous avatars anymore. You will know exactly uh, where that avatar is from and it'll have a history and, and, a, and a reputation. I think, I think that will happen. Um, uh, having virtual interaction with each other is great for, uh, from the transport uh, of sort of traveling to meet each other and, uh, and we meet people around the globe and everything, which is great. Um, but uh, with climate change being something that we've been thinking about so much, I'm just wondering about the server power and the, the uh, I'm just curious, how much is it going to cause climate issues? Yes. Um, well, one issue is the amount of energy uh, needed to create or mint cryptocurrency, which is a lot. Uh, Bitcoin is quite heavy, but uh, Ethereum is actually a lot more ecologically sound, and I think the technologies will continue uh, to get better. And then on the other side, uh, we don't have to travel as much, you know. Um, I used to be flying around all the time on planes, and now... I don't have to, you know. I, I did a Zoom Bible study for 60 Anglicans in South Africa a few months ago, and I didn't have to go to South Africa. So I, I think, I think generally we will see um, less uh, less fuel used because we will be traveling a lot less. And even during the pandemic, people were working from home and not having to go in and, and finding a way to to make it work. Um, but I should also say that it's never a substitution, or shouldn't be a substitution, for real gathering. Nobody wants a virtual Christmas dinner. We all want to be with our kids and eat real food, right? And nothing will ever uh, replace that. But a lot of things it will replace, and I think it will be generally good. Oh, Carolyn's over here. Hello. Um, thanks for the talk so far. There's a lot of good stuff to really take in. I also appreciate the comments Habbo Hotel takes me back to being a teenager, almost on there. Um, but um, one thing I just want to come back to on church services, uh, kind of us who go to churches know that there is kind of a richness in a multi-generational uh, multi kind of congregation. And particularly as we're going towards that kind of metaverse, kind of Web 3.0 society, there's always going to be that cynicism. There's already that cynicism there, where like millennials like myself or Gen Z will be completely on board with it. Those in older generations have been cynical of even video games in the 80s. So how do you think that we can engage with other generations to bring people on board and kind of defeat that cynicism? 
Oh, yeah, great, great question. And I'm not sure we need to bring them on board, but if there was, for example, a, a Christmas... My kids live in Wellington, many of them, and some live in America. And so w when Christmas came around a couple of years ago, one of them said, hey, let's just meet in the metaverse. And so we met in this game that I had never been in. And to be really honest, I struggled with just knowing how to walk. Um, but, um, but I did get myself in, in that. Um, my kids don't have um, grandparents who are connected. But if they did, I think the grandparents would want to hang out with their grandkids and see them at Christmas time. So I, I think, like most things, change happens relationally. Um, rather than because it's interesting. What do you think? I think if I look at it in my own perspective or my own experience where I have a 93-year-old granddad and he doesn't know how a fax machine works, um, then nothing you can do will change that kind of thing. But then I've seen it the other way in my own church congregation where it's took, taken some work, but getting them to involved in YouTube services, just even getting them to work out how to put a YouTube link into a web browser so they could be involved. Yes. But I think maybe there is a fear that if we do go far that so far into the metaverse that yeah. some people just might feel left behind. Yeah. And I think it's important that we are able to kind of bring them on board. Uh, yeah, I, I, totally, I totally agree. And I think technology should bring us together better. I actually see this happening in the metaverse um, where technologies have made us individualistic. I see, for example, let's say music. When I was... When I was a teenager, we, I put a record on the stereo. The whole house used to hear it. But then in the 80s, Sony came out with a Walkman and people were just walking around wired for sound and their own personal sound space. And that continued with the smartphone and uh, Bluetooth headphones uh, listening to Spotify. But on the metaverse, I think it's Decentraland. Spotify now has an island called Spotify Island, and you can go and listen to your favorite artist next to other people that like the same artist. And maybe one day that artist is going to come and hang out with his fans. And so it's like everything is leading towards the potential of community. Instead of just buying a book on Amazon, downloading it, why, why not go to a a metaverse bookstore where you can stand next to somebody and have a chat, you know? Have you read this author? Have you read their first book? And, and you're building friendships just by buying something that you used to do all by yourself. So I do think there's a lot of uh, potential. And also, we shouldn't, when we talk about technology, I think we need to just widen it and make it available for absolutely everyone. I heard a great story during the pandemic. People couldn't get to church, but some of the older people didn't have a computer or didn't have... Uh, internet connection. So somebody created an app or a program where if you called a number on your phone, you would hear back a sermon. And over 200,000 people used that service during the pandemic. We, we are getting ready to wrap up, aren't we? we? We are, and we don't have time for any more questions, I'm afraid. But Andrew, is there anything else that you want to leave with us really briefly before we wrap up? Yes. Well, I was going to read that really boring definition again, but I think you guys really get it, and I don't think there's, uh, there's any need. Go on, read it to us. All right. If I do, I'll be finishing off. Okay, let's read it, and then I'll be asking you if you kind of understood it better. Okay, here it is. The metaverse is a massively scaled and interoperable, we didn't talk about this word, but it's jumping in between different worlds, you know, kind of like watching Breaking Bad and, and then uh, Saul Goodman turns up and you're like, what the heck, you know? Uh, but it's an interoperable network of real-time rendered 3D virtual worlds that can be experienced synchronously, persistently, by an effectively unlimited number of users with an individual sense of presence and a continuity of data, such as, and then the digital assets, identity, history, entitlements, objects, communications, and payments. If that made more sense to you the second time around, put up your hand. All right, good, well done. And if you're charismatic, put down your hand. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, um, that's all I wanted to say, but I did ask you in the very beginning to be thinking about the world of 2050 and maybe formulating a one-sentence prediction that uh, you are now invited 
to share with the person next to you, if you like, on your way out. Thank you very much for coming. God bless you all. And see me online sometime. Thank you. Um, shall we give a really big treehouse thank you to Andrew Jones? Thank you. Thank you for listening to great thinking, ideas and conversations from Greenbelt. At Greenbelt, we make a space where artistry meets activism, where the political meets the practical, where the sacred meets the secular. We think we're somewhere to dream up a better world, to dance and debate, to pray and to party. Visit greenbelt.org.uk to browse and download other great thinking from our recorded catalogue. We're Greenbelt. We're somewhere to believe in.